0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard.
1: Hi, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show for entrepreneurs, for small businesses, the people that will grow the economy. Create more jobs and change our economic fortunes. You're the people who kickstart the economic recovery and build high-paying, high-skilled jobs suitable for the 21st century. Now, I apologise for my voice a bit, but um, I've had a dose of the flu, which I'm just starting to get over. So I apologise for that. Now, in this program, we try to inform small business owners and startups like yourselves about every aspect of business to enable you to be successful. This is your show. You let us know what you would like us to talk about, and we'll talk about it. In turn, we'll show you how to avoid making the same mistakes that people like me, who went before you, made frequently. Now, there's nothing more rewarding or invigorating than being an entrepreneur. You know, you can control your own destiny, you have the flexibility of changing anything that isn't working, and you can create better solutions. But being successful is a lot more than having a great product or service. It's probably only 10 to 15% of the battle. The other 85% is your strategy and your ability to run a business and to manage people. Now, last week, we, we talked about um, the Gallup poll, which showed that 60% of people don't like their jobs. That's pretty tragic. And um, most of them would rather be an entrepreneur. Well, I meet with budding entrepreneurs every day and I've determined that most of them are not cut out to be employees, far less entrepreneurs. Now, there was a great article a couple of weeks ago in Junior Entrepreneurs about this, so I've combined their observations with a few of my own. I've worked for some big corporations and I've spent most of my life being an entrepreneur and I love it. I wouldn't trade it for any other role in life but I've never worked so hard either. Entrepreneurs frequently say to me that they have the next billion-dollar idea and one that will revolutionize whatever business they're in. They're going to be the next Gates or Jobs or Zuckerberg. The reality is that you're not. If you have the idea that you're going to sit down and create the next Facebook and be worth billions of dollars overnight, it ain't going to happen. Sure, you should dream big but you need to be realistic and practical you know one of these guys comes along once every 10 years and i've said before a great idea it's like it's like assholes everybody's got one the idea it's 10% of the battle of success it's the other 85 to 90% where people fail you know many of these so-called entrepreneurs think they can work 3 to 4 hours a day and have plenty of time to do whatever they want Now, all the entrepreneurs I know work 15 hours minimum a day, and there are no such things as weekends or holidays. You have to work bloody hard if you want to make things happen. And if you aren't ready to work pretty long days, you're definitely not cut out to be an entrepreneur. If you're an entrepreneur, you can party every night of the week. I can take off the long weekends with my friends, and I can have long lunches every day because I'm an entrepreneur. Well, reality is, not if you want to stay in business, you can't. The entrepreneurs that I know live, eat and breathe their business. Of course, most entrepreneurs think that working from home means you'll have more time for your relationship. Working around the house, sleeping in, going for a swim during the day. Wrong. Because you work from home, you live in this constant state of always going back to the desk. You don't cook. You buy takeout because you can get it over with quickly and get back to your next idea. I get constantly told by friends that they would love to have my job, usually because they hate their own job. They think that you have this perfect setup where you go along to work and you get to play all day. They say stuff like, you don't have to deal with the bloody 405 every day. It's a freeway here in Los Angeles. Or... You know, the people at my work are so fucking boring. Now, I worked 15 hours last Saturday, and I was ill, and I worked 15 hours again on Sunday. I was trying to finish an investment model. Do you really want to trade for my job? I doubt it. So for all of you starving entrepreneurs out there, keep on hanging in. We're doing the stuff we love, and that's what matters. I may not be building the next Apple, Google, or Facebook, but I do control my own destiny and I know that the harder I work, the better results that I get. I love talking about the success stories of young entrepreneurs and I recently featured a number of kids who were 14 to 16 who became multi-millionaires from backing their ideas. This week, I heard about a young brother and sister entrepreneurs, Scott and Stacy. I think it's Fiera, who recently landed nearly $1 million from Sir Richard Branson and Colorado venture investor Jerry Murdoch for their startup. up 19, and Scott, who's 21, started working on their business, mysocialcloud.com, last summer. The web application aims to be the go-to place for people to manage their internet activity and securely store usernames and passwords, among other things. Scott, who left the University of Southern California, USC, as a sophomore to pursue the venture, says he got the idea when his computer crashed and he lost a spreadsheet containing all of his usernames and passwords. God, I'd hate that to happen to me. (coughs) Excuse me. The now CEO decided to form the business after finding another password storage site, which lacked in one way or another. For her part, Stacy recently finished her freshman year at New York University and she's taking a leave of absence from school as well. She worked in the business in Los Angeles last summer. Now during a break, she decided to check her Twitter. When she logged on, she saw a tweet from Virgin Group founder Richard Branson, who was offering the chance for people to fly to Miami and meet him for cocktails if they donate two thousand bucks to his charity. Free the Children is the name of the charity. Stacy immediately emailed Virgin at the address provided on the tweet, saying she and Scott weren't old enough to drink cocktails but would love to come to Miami and meet Branson. <coughs> Excuse my coughing. And meet. Yeah, so they wanted to meet Branson. You know, and Branson was once a teen entrepreneur himself, so he knows what the hell's going on. After learning they were able to go they got a $4,000 loan from their parents. Just two days after receiving Branson's tweet, Stacy and Scott were in Miami. Now, they didn't sip cocktails, but they did attend two parties at which Sir Richard was present. They met Branson at the first party at the Versace Mansion. Pretty cool mansion. That I don't know whether you've been there. It is great. The siblings were among 18 people telling Branson what they were working on, and they gave them a little bit of background on where they were from and what their service provided. After getting Branson's contact information, the pair returned to California and kept in touch with him. They also chatted several times over the phone with Murdoch. Now, Murdoch flew to LA in August and visited with them. The next day, Murdoch announced that he and Branson would invest in MySocialCloud.com. Now, Scott and Stacy plan to use the investment mostly to support the nine people on the team. Now, this was one hell of a long shot and a four grand long shot. But, you know, if you don't ask and you don't try, you don't get. It also shows how much social media can change your life. So don't be afraid to, you know, approach the big guys, contact the big guys. In my experience, they're usually very amenable. And they do want to help entrepreneurs. Just don't waste their time. You know, I once contacted a major player who was 8,000 miles away. I got him on the phone, and I said to him, if I am prepared to beg, borrow, and steal to get the money for an air ticket and sit on a plane for 18 hours, would you give me 20 minutes of your time? I mean, what's he going to say? They said, yes. So I went out, got on the plane, flew for 18 hours, Fronted into his office, and I ended up with a very profitable deal. You know, you have to be prepared to put it all on the line if you want to succeed. Stacey put it best when she said, "I guess the biggest thing that I would advise entrepreneurs to do is to take absolutely every opportunity." And you know, she's hundred percent right. People who are afraid of failing should not become entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship is about pushing your limits limits, and taking risks. You must prepare for a degree of failure. You are going to fail from time to time, more often than not. Now, even though you've failed, you should have learned a very valuable lesson. You know, most investors believe that entrepreneurs who have failed at least once are more likely to get funding. Investors know that founders often learn more from mistakes than they do from successes. So don't don't be afraid to put failures in your bio. Now, a failure shouldn't just be dismissed. You should embrace it, grow from it, and use the experience to move on. Let me give you three tips on how to turn failure into an advantage. Firstly, Ultimately, you are in charge. You need to accept responsibility. It's easy to blame partners, investors, customers, the economy. Crush, you can blame almost anything. But if you blame someone else, you'll never learn from your mistakes. Remember, you volunteered to be an entrepreneur. You didn't volunteer to be a victim. Secondly, in every bad deal... They're always good people. Often, entrepreneurs take on one of those people as a new partner and have gone on to make millions of dollars. Good investors will fund you again, and those customers from the first time will come back. Thirdly, you have to profit from your mistakes, so learn from them. Making mistakes and becoming smarter is the job of an entrepreneur, while not making mistakes is the job of an employee. Failure is not usually a single event, but it's usually a collection of mistakes. Failure, combined with a strong sense of business ethics, can motivate and produce great innovation. Certain types of failures, like failures of integrity and ethics, they're much harder to recover from. So when you experience your first failure, give up on your ego, let go, and get back to being smarter on your next project. So I hope you go to my website, bobprichard.com and enroll for my July newsletter, which is now out. Don't forget to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Tweet me at the bob Pritchard. Join me on LinkedIn, Facebook or Google plus. Contact me in any way you want. Send me a carrier pigeon. Long as it doesn't crap on my stoop. Contact me in any way. Just don't ignore me. If you want to book me for a presentation, business conference, drop me an email. I guarantee that I will fire up your team and get great results. I'm Bob Richard. I'll be back in a moment with my first guest.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Fritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we talk to people who are the movers and shakers on this planet, and we try to work out what makes them tick and what it is about them that makes them so special. My guest today is Kevin Kelly, a guy from Ireland that I first came across when I was heading off to Iran for a speaking tour, and uh, Kevin did the same trip, a bit a bit earlier or a bit later. I can't remember now, but um, so we've known each other for quite a while. He's an authority on entrepreneurship, leadership, sales, creativity, and personal excellence. Since he obtained his commerce degree, he's worked around the world in IT, pharmaceuticals, healthcare, financial services, and retail. Kevin's released a number of books. He's in high demand as a speaker and a trainer. He's... um, he works in China, South America. He works all over the planet. And I have him on the line at his home in Ireland. Hi, Kevin. Great to talk to you again. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Show. You.
2: Thank you, Bob. Good to, good to talk to you as well. How are you? Good, Dad. Yeah, good. Um, we have a nice uh, rainy day here in Ireland for a change. It's um, well, different. We're <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're just we- we're-, we're just about to welcome in all the boats on the Volvo Ocean Race, so there's great excitement around the place. And uh, as we know, Galway and Ireland is ultimately the cultural capital of the world. So, oh really?
1: I've given I've yeah. given a number of speeches up there. I must have missed it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you obviously haven't got that gift you see you have, which is empathy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, one thing that intrigues me is. How you went about writing a bestseller, even though you had a D grade in English exams. How you broke sales records in different industries and so on. How did you How did you swing that?
2: Well, you know, I I, I came out of college in, in in 1987 and worked in three companies, one after the other, headhunted from one to the other, and in the process actually broke each of their sales records. But in 1990, I decided to set up my own company which was Advanced Marketing and I had a real interest in the whole area of motivation because um, as I hadn't got a PhD or an MBA and still haven't, that's the bad news, um, basically people kept talking about my energy and enthusiasm. So I was quite intrigued by that and I wanted to find out what was the source. Mm. So that kind of set me on another journey really going deep into research, into motivation, entrepreneurship, etc. And it led me in 1996 to decide to walk the path of my own philosophies, as it were, and that's when I set the goal of writing a best-selling book. And as you said, I had a few obstacles. I had a D in English in my final exams, but I was consistent because I had a D in English in my junior exams as well, so that would have been considered an obstacle. Uh, similarly, I had no publisher, no background in writing, and an interesting other little piece of information to share at the time, three um, journalists who are fairly well known in Ireland, the three of them said in chorus, there was no chance I was going to write a best-selling book. So I actually took up the challenge, I got an A4 page and I wrote on it in the brains language, I am a best-selling author and I put it over my workspace decided I put another A four page which says manuscript finished by May the twenty sixth. Now I've no clue at this stage, Bob, what it took to write a book, no, knew nothing about the process. so what I was effectively <laughs> Yeah Yeah. So I was effectively committing to a process I knew nothing about. Um, what I had was on the positive side was I've always had this core belief and it's really, you know, stood me well from writing bestsellers to trying to build an international presence to various stuff I've done in Africa, et cetera, is that when you do commit to the process, you start to attract teachers, circumstances, and events, if your ego and get in the way, and that brings you on a journey that either leads you to the best-selling book or certainly to a destination that you describe as better than your starting point. Yeah. So th- that, that was the thing. I had up open the wall. I also put it on the back of the door. Uh, so as I was walking out every day, again, the focus was on the dream. The flip side of that, and particularly for your listeners, I'm sure they'll be very aware about what I'm about to say, but I think it's an important thing that I've learned over the 20 years, is if you have a dream, there's no doubt about it, that knowledge will always give you enough reasons not to act. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's a key point. So knowledge told me you're not good enough in English, you have no background, you've never written books. But my intuition and my gut told me, there's your dream, focus on it, commit to it, and see what happens. Yep. And luckily, over time, I remember within three months, a knock came to the door. It was a lady from the local area. Uh, she says, I hear you're writing a book. I says, I am indeed. And we started chatting. I had in the past said hello to her, no more than hello as I was walking down to get to her a paper every morning. And it turns out that she was an English teacher. So that was cool because obviously if you want to write a best-selling book, it would be good to have Somebody that could write English on your team uh, over the months, I attracted various consultants from around the world to help me with the content and then yeah, zoom to the end point um, oh yeah actually I was then asked to speak at the network Women in Business national Conference, and at that time the head of the network Women in Business was a publisher. So all the pieces of the jigsaw was coming together. How when you don 't know how was launched in one thousand nine hundred and ninety seven in Ireland. That was a motivation title. At that time in Ireland, there had never been such a title. There had been books on raising children, but motivation was very yeah. much the domain of white coats in Ireland and being brought away in a van secretly. So we were going, we were going against the, the, the grain. But anyway, the bottom line was how when you don't know how I was born and uh, it became a mega bestseller. So that's really how it started.
1: Now, one of your mantras is to exceptionalize your business. Yeah. What precisely do you mean, and how do you go about doing it?
2: Well, you know, like like yourself, Bob, I've kind of very much immersed myself in the most up to date research. Um, uh, apart from living life and learning the most from being out there, I am also obviously passionately interested in the latest research. But in 2006, uh, there was a fascinating study brought out for me, anyway, from Columbia University. They had tracked the major breakthrough companies over the previous decade in America. And what they found was something very, very interesting. They found that 88% of the success stories were the result of exceptional execution of an ordinary idea. And 12% were new innovations and inventions. All right. So I, I thought that was a phenomenal piece of research because, as we know, you know, I think most of us think, oh, they're a major success. It must be an amazing new product, amazing new idea. But no, what this had said was this was exceptional execution of an ordinary idea. I <laughs> think that gives great hope to every company around the world when you read that. But out of exceptional execution, being an Irish person, uh, I came up with a word that doesn't exist in the dictionary, as you do, which was exceptionalise. And then we added a little bit of Hollywood to it and the X Factor, and it became exceptionalise, with the X. And um, I then built a whole system around that. And. Uh, the three kind of keys that I see in terms of exceptionalizing a business, and of course mean exceptionalize really means exceptional execution. So that's a really sure. cool mantra, as you say yourself. Three things. Can I just chop in one? Um,
1: Please. Execution being what? The, the, everything execution. from...
2: Execution. Yes, sorry, go on. Yeah, well, let me break it down and then we can see this, is that there's three things. It's, a, it's Execution is doing, I'm talking about every single thing you do, uh, your mantra, your philosophy is exceptional execution. But I break it down into three areas. There's three areas you can exceptionalize your business on as I see it. Number one, we start with the promoter, the three Ps, the promoter. And the promoter, the owner, the SME owner, uh, the leader, the manager, of course, is the culture creator. A little piece of research based on that, which is very relevant, and I think it's gaining huge currency in the market at the moment, is in 2007. Another piece of research came out from Stanford Business Advisory Committee, which said that self-awareness was the most important attribute a leader should develop. You know, again, it almost brought touchy-feely into the, you know, into really the big hardcore stuff as such. If you know what I'm saying? But the bottom line is, this is. To me, the owner is the culture creator. He creates a culture that either empowers or disempowers. If they don't know themselves and don't work upon themselves and haven't got self-awareness, well then you've got a real problem from the outset. That's the bottom line. So exceptional execution for me, for a promoter, is looking in the mirror, understanding themselves, working on their limitations, building on their strengths, and so forth and so on. The second P is the people people being both your internal and external customers. Over the years, like I've, I've done CDs on this and have written them in my books, I talk about you know that we've, we may have 10 billion brain cells, but we're incredibly predictable. I, I don't know if you share this belief, but I'll, I'll put it to you. You know, like yourself, I've worked around the globe, but I still think that the people, there is universal patterns. Uh, and one of the universal patterns for me is the first assumption about human behavior, I would say, is. It's, it's locked in our DNA. DNA do need attention. And to me, that is the key to unlocking people's potential and your customer's potential is quality attention. And so sometimes. You think, you think
1: people are predictable?
2: Incredibly predictable, yes.
1: Yeah, I've had a couple I of. Do. I had a, I've had a couple of wives that I didn't find at all predictable. But,
2: <laughs> well, maybe we should go back to the first P, the promoter and self-awareness. <laughs> I've got a question about that too. I've actually got a question about that. If you take
1: someone like Steve Jobs, yeah, Steve Jobs, yeah. I saw him speak a couple of times, and the people that listen to him are like lemmings. If he yeah. said, follow me over the cliff, they'd follow. He had this almost spiritual thing about him aura where people just loved him and worshipped him and yet you read the books about him and yeah. you know it seems that he was an asshole now, so are those two <laughs> things in conflict somehow
2: yeah uh, look that's a great question great question i mean i read the books and of course i absolutely have read his background and i understand where you're coming from but I think that I think the bottom line on this is, yeah, there may be a little bit of conflict, but the bottom line is they came up with great, great products. Sure. So the bottom line is, of his approach was a fantastic organization with great products, and within that little cocktail, people really bought into it, and the whole aura came from that. I doubt, I doubt if at the end of the, uh, the process, and it was very early on, but at the end of the process, if things didn't work out, that he would have such a, a following, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So I, I agree. You, you know, I think he is one in a million. But I think that people who, who the main product is. Pardon. Branson, another one. Yeah, I, I'm not aware. LeBranton's style seems to be a little bit d- different. He seems to ha- well, I'm, I'm not sure within corporate circles, within his own corporate circles, but his style seems to be a hell of a sight warmer, etc., less aggressive than Jobs.
1: Yeah, but, yeah,
2: no question. But let, let's put it let's put it this way, and this is the most important thing: is yes, there are Jobs, and there's a Steve Jobs, and there's many exceptions to the rule. But in 99% of the cases, in my opinion, if you develop yourself if you know who you are, if you have a compelling vision, if you have real values on which the companies are based upon, if you actually care about your internal and external customer, in 99% of the cases, that is going to be a much more successful approach than if you're an arrogant asshole that doesn't want to listen to anyone. Yeah, I agree. You know, so yes, there are exceptions, but in the, in the main, I think we can go with the 90% rule here. you know. Um, so the second thing was the predictability about people, and the third thing is creating world-class processes. And uh, like I'd be a great, great fan on breaking down anyone's service down to every little contact point with the customer, setting huge standards for them, and aiming to exceed on an ongoing basis. Like I talk about one of the things that you know for years and years, you know, you talked about selling and breaking sales records. Well, one of the keys to selling and breaking sales records is actually going outside the nine dots of the whole sales process. So for example, questions I would ask people is, when was the last time you got business for your customer? So, that we need to move away, like I talk about the customer being dead in its current format, it's no longer a transaction we need to look at, it needs to be an emotional exchange, we need to exceed expectations, how do we do that, we need to think differently. So, when I'm dealing with people, you know, if I, let's say it's the print industry or whatever, immediately my head goes, hey, I must get four or five of my buddies, to, you know, to work with these guys and to get, yeah. you know, do business with them. That is one way of bringing people from customers to friends. To me, customers will always leave you, friends don't. And over 21 years, all my relationships have been based on authentic friendships, not just, you know, I know that I can get something out of you.
1: Kevin, we are tied on time, but I agree with your, um, friendship. Analogy, I think that's great, and I'm glad that we're friends, and I really appreciate you taking the time in your unbelievably hectic schedule to talk to me. Now, if you're listening and you'd like to know more about Kevin Kelly, then go to www.kevinkellyunlimited.com. That's www.kevinkellyunlimited.com. And I'll be back after this short break.
0: Are you happy with the management and leadership style of your organization? Do you think it could use some improvement? No matter the level of leadership at your organization, you'll be sure to learn something new when you tune in to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Through a unique lecture and interview format, we'll bring you ideas, questions, and answers that will help you run any organization, whether for-profit or not. Listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sanjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio
1: Show on another absolutely magnificent afternoon in Los Angeles. Now, this is the segment of the show where we interview people who are doing unusual things or are showing what we think is remarkable foresight and initiative. My guest this afternoon is one of those people. Eddie Salcedo is the Managing Director and Co-Founder of Eleven Sports Media. Now, prior to this, Eddie spent seven years with AEG, which, as many of you know, is one of the world's biggest sports and entertainment groups. With over a 100 of the industry's top auditoriums and facilities, they stage an incredible 6,200 events a year. That's That's like... 20 a day, and host 55 sports teams worldwide. Now, Eddie's a specialist in event development, event management, and sponsorships. Now, prior to that, Eddie worked at ISL, which is FIFA's marketing agency. So, needless to say, Eddie knows one hell of a lot about the sports business. I've gotten to know Eddie pretty well, and uh, he's a very unassuming guy, but he really knows his stuff. Now, what Eddie's involved with now is a very far-sighted and it's very exciting. In partnership with Seven Sports, they've set up Ehabla Football, which intends to be the umbrella group for all of the Hispanic soccer teams and leagues across America. When you consider there are 51 million Hispanics in the US, growing at three times the rate of the overall population, with a buying power of over one trillion dollars this is one incredibly powerful constituency hi eddie welcome to the bob pritchard show
3: thank you for having me bob happy to be here
1: now what's the principal reasoning behind the establishment of ehabla football
3: i think probably uh the two things that you just pointed out there uh, the, the trillion dollars is no small number uh, in terms True. of purchasing power <laughs> and uh you know just the the growth of the population that number is going to increase to about 1.5 trillion by 2015 and as you mentioned it's the fastest growing population uh in the United States responsible for most of the growth from the last uh decade in in the country it's definitely the number one minority uh growing uh group here and we just see an opportunity that uh that no one's taken advantage of yet
1: so is the opportunity to build the sport is it to give sponsors a direct um, uh, link to these teams is it to build television coverage is it to to do all of those things what what are the principal reasons
3: the the principal reason is well these guys are out there and they're playing and they live in their own you know little worlds, and they're all very independent and there's no one that has harnessed them as a group so we're not looking to you know, start new leagues. We're not looking to reinvent the wheel here. We're simply taking what exists and, and bringing it under one umbrella, and from there, giving you know the marketers of uh, of the world a direct line to this massive consumer group, and and then from there, you know, we'll go on to develop some other things. I'm sure there'll be some other initiatives in terms of creating content and and whatnot. But it's very much a a communication tool for these guys. Um, you know, it, for. Your listeners who might not be that aware of how they operate—you know—they still operate sure. uh, a lot of a lot of them handwriting registration. You know, maybe on the a few more tech-savvy guys are doing Excel sheets or some sort of database, um, yeah. some use of some database software. But very, very few are doing what we would consider, you know, standard practice in automated registrations and scheduling and results and you know and what have you. So. And I think and then the other big part of this too is uh you know we, we all see even in the general market things trending towards mobile um, you know using our smartphones for Absolutely. everything, and hispanics actually over index on smartphones they're more likely than the general u s consumer to own a smartphone and uh do their research and and uh, all sorts of fun things with it so we we see all these ideas out there of uh You know, of uh, opportunity, and we're going to knock them off one by one.
1: So it's not only just the commercial side of it, it's actually very practical from the point of view of the teams themselves.
3: Absolutely. I mean, part of our our pitch to these guys is look, we're going to improve your your life, we're going to improve the way you do business, we're going to improve your communication with your teams, we're going to keep guys from poaching coaching your teams and players away from you so uh, you know, you, they can keep making their money. And, and they, it is a money-making business that these guys are involved in, and we're not coming in to take that away from them. We're simply opening up a new opportunity for them of uh, communication and, and management. And you know, and in the end, yes, we will, uh, we will commercialize it ourselves. Absolutely. So
1: how are you going about getting these leagues and teams on board?
3: What's the process? It's it's a very grassroots process. Actually, we spend uh, quite a bit of time uh, in the field, literally. um, You know, talking to (laughs) league (laughs) presidents. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Talking to league presidents, talking to team coaches. Um, We've had several focus groups. Uh, You know, and in each city, there's there's a handful of guys who knows everyone. And whether that we're talking about, you know, Hispanic soccer leagues or or nightclubs or uh, investment bankers, there's. There's a few key guys that can get to those, you know, to those people very quickly and have uh, existing relationships. So we've identified a number of those guys in in some of the bigger cities across the country and have started going and literally having one-on-one conversations with these guys and and educating them on what we're trying to accomplish and aligning some of their fears of, you know, are we going to steal their business? Are we going to charge them an arm and a leg at some point? Are we, you know, just things that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So, yeah. Yep. So, how many leagues and teams have you got on board currently?
3: Right now, we've got about thirty-five leagues, uh, probably representing a couple hundred teams, probably in, in the four or five hundred range um, of teams. I think uh, that number is a decent start, but we're working every day to increase that rapidly. And mm-hmm. you know, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg here with uh, with our commercial partnerships. We've had very good conversations with blue chip companies who. Absolutely love the idea uh, because the other the other side of this, Bob, is that there's a a, a direct conversation that can be had, you know, with these with these uh, groups. But also, experiential marketing is huge in in the Hispanic um, the Hispanic marketing approach. You know, putting products into people's hands and letting them touch, feel, yeah. and know the product, and so. You know, part of our uh, our pitch is you know these guys play every week, so every weekend it's a chance to get something in their hands, and you know whether it's more than just uh, putting a banner up at a field, it's actually letting them taste, touch, and, and get to know a product. So we're uh, we're very active in recruitment, um, and but we're also very active in our conversations with potential partners, and just say, hey, this is what we're doing. What do you think of this? How can we improve this? What would you like to see? So. As you've mentioned to me a couple of times in our conversations, you're big on customization of, uh, of an opportunity to a client, and that's that's uh, one of the points that we're we're trying to do or accomplish ourselves is going to the potential clients and saying, you know, what would you like to see within this realm, within this product that we are creating? What little, you know, what little twist can we add to it? Uh, whether that's asking, you know, them certain questions on the registration page sure. or, or uh, similar um, ideas.
1: Yeah, it's very it's very important these days. You know, when you can go online and customise a, your next Harley Davidson, and you, or you can go on and and customise your next Barbie doll, it's ridiculous when people don't customise opportunities for sponsors and for media when they're trying to take big dollars. So that's that's great. Now, from my perspective, having been involved in selling millions hundreds of millions probably of sponsorships in my day, the ability for a sponsor to be able to reach millions of Hispanic kids and their parents and their grandparents, it's a dream come true for them. So how will you go about delivering the sponsor's message? I know we talked about um, the fact that you'll be able to get them in game time, but you'll be able to get them um, 24-7, 365, won't you? Because you'll... That.
3: That's correct. Yeah, the 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 hub of of the idea is uh, the iaba website. So that's home base, if you will. Where you know there's you know display advertising, there's videos, there's you know some neat things that you can do on online um, that go a little bit you know beyond traditional advertising. But um, so we'll, we start there, and then we move that into the mobile space. So we'll have you know their database of uh, of cell phone numbers. So mobile marketing will be a second tier then from there the direct marketing and you know direct marketing as old school as it is it's still one of the most effective ways
2: works,
3: to, yep. to, to reach people and you know we're um, creating a massive database of Hispanic households and the Hispanic household trends higher than or, I'm sorry it, it they are per capita there is more people in a house in the Hispanic household than there is in the general market so yeah. when we start to put our numbers together they add up very very quickly so in terms of messaging you know we've got the outlets of you got the online you've got the mobile you've got the direct marketing and then you've got the on-site experiential you know four very powerful opportunities for a partner to touch uh and build a relationship with the consumer
1: it's a fantastic um um mobile opportunity because um you know kid the kids particularly hispanic kids or or non-hispanic kids doesn't make any difference they've it's what they know. It's what they've grown up with. Um, you know, my son is 21 or so now, but he um, used to be always on the computer. Now he never uses the computer. He's either on his iPad or his um, iPhone.
3: So Exactly. Uh, and, and we're going to be taking advantage of that. And, you know, our, our software that we're developing is, you know, it's online, but it's also compatible with iPhones and Android-enabled um, phones. So we're hitting up the the two major um, operating systems for mobile phones and You know, as the technologies come out and the knickknacks come out and the apps come out, you know, we'll integrate those into our uh, our mobile sites. That's
1: brilliant. Of course, in addition to the sponsor benefits, you're also going to be able to host national competitions and have national merchandise, and there's all sorts of things you can do um, on that level, isn't there?
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's you know, looking at the various revenue opportunities for ourselves. You know, sponsorship is one. But then, you know, there's no reason why we can't get into the direct marketing business ourselves of offering products that we present to the uh, to the consumer. Uh, And then, yeah, the event-based opportunity is huge as well. We will again have access to thousands of teams across the country and creating regional tournaments, national tournaments, where there's registration fees and then on-site there's you know people are buying food and they're buying merchandise and stuff. So. We definitely see this as more than just a sponsorship opportunity for, for revenues for us, and you know we're uh, we're we're fleshing out all those ideas, and we know that uh, it's going to take us a little while to get there, but we know that these other things are are available, and we're definitely going to pursue them.
1: See, one of the advantages that you'll have from the club's point of view is you'll have massive buying power, so you should be able to save all these little clubs quite a lot of money.
3: Yeah, and you know, and that extends beyond, I think, just. What we would think of buying cleats and uniforms, but also, you know, insurance and different sure. things of that nature that, uh, yeah, there's a whole that, uh, of things. W- you know, we can buy in bulk and present them. So, you know, that's another benefit that we, that we, uh, let our, our partners know, our leagues know is, hey, you know, on top of the communication and the ease of use and lifestyle, you know, there's also going to be some, some financial benefits for the club and whether that's, you know, through discounts or, you know, special offers or what it, whatever it may be there's other benefits for them
1: as well sure another benefit that i see is the ability of a major media organization um you know either one of the hispanic media groups or a fox es fox or an espn or whatever um being able to capture the hearts and minds of 50 million hispanics that, are you in discussion with media organizations we,
3: yet? we are as a matter of fact and it's something that uh yeah, it's a two-way street there as well, Bob. We, you know, d- definitely see the power and the opportunity to, to present to a media company and saying, hey, you know, again, same thing with a, a sponsor, or, um, you know, the database access, the, the communication, all that. But also on the flip side of that, for us, when we go back to our partners and say, you know, we've got a major media company on our side as well. So, you know, people are still uh, having a hard time wrapping their head. If people are having a hard time wrapping their heads around what we're, what we're selling here, we can just go, hey, this is a mass media buy as well. You're going to be on Fox. You're going to be on ESPN. So, you know, there's some agencies and marketers that understand what we're trying to accomplish and some that are still stuck a few steps back in, you know, mass media, mass media, mass media. Yeah. So we'll be able to check that box off as well.
1: Well, if it's any help, I, I, I got it. I understand it. I can see it clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so how long do you think it will be before you're fully up and, and running?
3: Well, we are we're up and running now. Uh, you know, we've gone through several beta rounds of, of the software. Uh, we're putting the final touches on what I would say is our version 4.0, um, which yeah. is the one that uh, we'll be using for uh, for the time being and moving forward. Obviously, you know, software and technology is constantly being updated. Sure. But uh, you know, I think as far as conversations, as I mentioned, we've had some good conversations with some uh, big companies, and we'll continue those conversations. And I, I think by by the beginning of next year, you'll start to see big partnerships come out of this, and you know, the media conversation should be done by then. So you know, I'd say by the early next year, uh, we'll be a, a full run in force out there.
1: Fantastic. Eddie, I wish you and your colleagues every success with this. I think it's a fantastic initiative. I've no doubt that it would be a really powerful force um, in the future of soccer in America. Now, if anybody's listening and would like to know more about eHabla, you can contact them at www.ehabla, H-A-B-L-A, football, F-U-T-B-O-L.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Show after this short break.
0: business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show, which is targeted at entrepreneurs. And we love to hear from you and what you want us to talk about. Now you might recall that I had a fantastic guest on the program a while back. We had a lot of fun. The first lady of American Rock Radio, Dana Steele. Well, Dana sent me a new book called A Hundred and One Ways to Rock Your World. Somebody called it the chicken soup for the soul for the Twitter generation. I absolutely loved it. Page after page of really simple but terrific advice, stuff that we know but we forget, that is great advice for absolutely anyone in business. Now, I don't recommend too many books, apart from my own, and that is, but get yourself a copy of this one. It really is terrific. It's called 101 Ways to Rock Your World by Dana Steele, and it is great. Now, I love encouraging entrepreneurs, and before the break, I was speaking to um, Eddie Salcedo of e Football. What a great idea that is. Now, we all know that there's 50 million plus Hispanics in the US. They're a very powerful block with rapidly increasing influence, both politically and financially, and there is one powerful element that unites all 50 million Hispanics, no matter what else they believe in, it's their love for soccer. And the idea of getting one million Hispanic soccer players under the e umbrella and then having access to them 24-7 through websites, emails, smartphones, Etc., you're not only building a wonderful trust with them and respect for your business from them, but also with their siblings, with their parents, with their grandparents. What a ripper of an idea! Now, being involved with Ehabla would give you tremendous direct influence over 10 million plus people. The goodwill created by Ehabla football for the rest of the Hispanic community would also have a very positive effect on a good percentage of the other 40 million that aren't directly involved. So when you're an advertiser or a political party or an individual or a media network, this is a bloody great idea. I wish I had a thought of it. It's a great chance to influence a great percentage of 50 million people. Now, so during the break, we had nothing to do, so I was just doing a bit of math. The auto industry last year spent $350 million targeting Hispanics. The Republicans and Democrats are spending tens of millions of dollars to get 5% of Hispanics to change their vote. And the Harbler will give you much more influence than that 24 7, 365, in a way that people relate to and like for about a million bucks. I reckon that's the best investment I've ever heard of. So if you want to hear more about eHabler football, or want to know more about it, either contact me, so I'm going to get back to Eddie after the show, because I just, the more I've thought about it, the more I just love it. So if you want to know more about it, you can contact Eddie directly by going to f u T-B-O-L dot com, or send me an email directly to bob com I think it's a ripper. Okay. Um, the first email tonight's from Justin McGuire. We'll probably only get one. From Little Rock, Arkansas, Justin writes, Dear Bob, thanks for your program. I love it. You tell it as it is. I have a small business, and it is really hard to get business in the door without spending a lot of money on advertising, which I simply don't have. Over the years, I've found that most businesses spend too much time on marketing that just doesn't generate business. Well, Justin, people waste money on marketing strategies that boost their egos by making them local celebrities but don't actually sell anybody anything. And uh, if you've got a business relying on customers in your local area, You should first focus on networking in other area of business and other employers and schools and churches and other organizations. Get to the grassroots. You should belong to the Lions Club and the Rotary Club and the local Chamber of Commerce and the local Entrepreneurs Group. (coughs) Excuse me. You should network. Every time you get a chance, stand up and tell people who you are, what you do and why they should do business with you and create marketing strategies and events that are beneficial to all parties i've got a couple of ideas i'd like to throw at you in these last minute or so um before you start spending big bucks there's a new amazing new incredible social networking tool it's called actually meeting people face to face and shaking hands with them if you're in business an owner or the sales manager, introduce yourself to at least five new people every day. Pull out a business card. Tell them what you do. And, you know, if you can think of a special offer, give them a free t-shirt. Write it on the back of the card and sign it. If you meet 1,800 people in a year, probably 1,000 of them will use your business card coupon and about 200 will become new customers. That's a lot of new business with absolutely no advertising cost. You can also cross-promote with other local merchants. Provide a special certificate for other local businesses to pass out to customers. Oh, excuse me. As I mentioned earlier, I'm trying to get over this dreadful cold. Pass out to customers with a special offer from you, compliments of them you get your advertising handed out for free and the promotional partner gets to offer their customers a perk. So if you have a major employer near your business, play the employer to distribute a VIP card from your business to which their workers. Most will stick a card into their wallets or purses and decide to use it. Give them some incentive. There are lots of ways to get business without spending a lot of money. Remember, we're here to help small businesses like you to succeed. If you're a regular listener to the show and like benefiting from the advice, go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send me questions, email me at bob at and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. Hope you enjoyed the show and until next week, have a fantastic time and let's go out and kick some butt.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.